the cradle that rocked the world. Our theme uh, this Christmas season is from the cradle to the cross. And when you think about the Christmas message all the way to the Easter message, you think to yourself about the love of God, about how much he loves you, how much he cares about you with this great message that he has in the word of God. Now, maybe uh, you're like Will Ferrell in one of his movies when he was at the dinner table. and He says, well, I like the baby Jesus. And I've heard that a lot just because they're quoting that movie. You know, I like the baby Jesus. What's not to like? I mean, the baby, a baby's very, uh, in fact, I kept the nursery last week, had a great time doing it. A little baby went to sleep in my arms and boy, just so cuddly. They're just so unassuming. They're so non-threatening. But Jesus lived a very tough life. It was a rocky road. And then on the cross, he died, died a very cruel and violent and humiliating death. Now, we're going to be looking at Matthew 27 today because we've been going all through this year, the last year through the book of Matthew. We started last year with the birth of Jesus and have been going through passage by passage all the way through the year. And we're finishing it up this next few weeks uh, with the look at the cross. Before that, we're going to look at his birth. But we look at the cross and we, under, we, we ask ourselves the question, okay, I, I can understand the blood. Now, if you're, if you're a believer, you've read the Bible, you can understand that. Life of the flesh is in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there's no forgiveness of sin. So you can understand the, maybe the method of death. And, but what about the shame? What about the mocking that we're going to find here in our passage this morning? What's the purpose of all that? Why did Jesus have to go through the humiliation that he, that he faced? Why couldn't he have just died? Well, we're going to be looking at that in just a few moments. In fact, as we look at this, we want to look at the cradle very quickly and see the hope of our salvation. Then we want to look at his commitment or his life, his commitments, see the need for our salvation. And finally, the bulk of this message with the cross, we see the way of salvation. Well, first of all, what about the cradle? Matthew one twenty one, all the way back to the first of the gospel. We read these verses. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. His people. Now, they read that as Israel because they were looking for a military leader. Why were they looking for a military leader? We've said this all throughout the gospel. Why were they doing that? Because they didn't need a spiritual leader. They felt like they just didn't need that. I mean, after all, they were the sons of Abraham. They, they were covered. You know, they, they didn't have anything to worry about. And we'll find out during his commitments the purpose of his life. But for a moment, the cradle, we, we look at this in the same way sometimes. We think, well, I, I'm not sure I need a Savior. I mean, after all, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist. I've been baptized. Doesn't that count for something? I belong to a church where the pastor or the priest or whatever is going to take care of all my sins. I really don't need a Savior. And if you feel like that is the case, then you don't see the hope of the salvation. All the way back to Simeon, when he picked up the baby Jesus in Matthew chapter or Luke chapter 2, he picked up the baby Jesus and he says, now I can die. Because I've seen the salvation of the Lord. The salvation that has to do with a forgiveness of sins. A, a salvation that's not a military coup, but a spiritual uh, happening and a crisis in our heart. That we realize that we're sinners and separated from God and we need a Savior. And that Savior is Christ the Lord and he has come and it gives us a hope now of that salvation. Well then... We not only see the hope of the salvation through the cradle, but then secondly, his commitments, his life. 
we see the need for our salvation. All through Jesus' life, he had one message. In fact, the whole message of the Bible is salvation. The main character is Jesus, Jesus Christ, and the main theme is salvation. He's coming to this world. Why was he here? Well, to die on the cross for our sins. Well, he could have been born, lived his life for 33 and a half years, never ministered to anyone, died on the cross, and nobody would have known the reason for it. But all of his life, all of his life, he preached one message, and that was the need of salvation. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will likewise perish. He was saying, you need a Savior. You Jewish people back in the New Testament times, you need a Savior. We in the 21st century, here in Oviedo and the surrounding area, we need a Savior. We need someone to save us from the penalty of our sin, from the passions of our sin, and even from the presence of our sins when we get to heaven. We need salvation in our heart and every miracle he performed. In fact, John, the Gospel of John calls them signs. Signs that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Everything in, the, in, in his life pointed to one thing. He pointed to the cross. Every time I, I think about a cradle, I see a shadow of the cross over that cradle of Jesus Christ. Well, then, lastly, we look with the cross, we see the way of salvation. And that, we look at Matthew chapter 27. And one thing that's a, a, re, a thread going all throughout this passage is the humiliation of Christ, the mockery of Christ. In fact, we look, first of all, in a previous passage about where Pilate mocked Jesus. In fact, he even, in verse 37, uh, he says, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. He's put a sign up on the cross to mock him. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. Then we see the soldiers mocking him. It says, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. This is all about royalty. This is all about being a king, all about mocking. They stripped him. Now, just a few moments ago, we saw a little video, and it had Jesus dying on a cross, and it was a very bloody video and very graphic, and yet at the same time, he still had clothes on. But he didn't then. They stripped him totally. He had nothing on. I can't think of anything, and I'm sure you can't think of any more, anything more humiliating than to see people passing by the road and sitting up there, standing up there naked. I remember being at uh, Roswell Street Baptist Church years ago at um, a pastor's uh, class conference, and uh, somebody said, you ought to see this painting out in, in the foyer. And so we went out there, and there's huge, huge paintings, panels. Somebody painted, in fact, there were three of them. It was so big, it was painted, it covered like a whole wall. In the middle was Jesus, thieves on the side. They were dying on the cross, but here was the thing. And we're in church here. They were naked, totally naked. And all of us thought the same thing. How does this pastor get away with this? You know, wow. It, but it was, it, it, it was awed. We were awed by, and we were embarrassed. We were embarrassed for Jesus. Stripped him. They put a robe on him. One of the soldiers just took off his own robe, like mocking him as being a king. We, we look on in this passage, and twisting together a crown of thorns, again, kingship, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand, leaning before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him, took the reed and struck him in the, on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him 
and led him away to crucify him. And so the soldiers mocked him. But look at these, just the passers-by did the same things. And when they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, in Latin it means Calvary, to give you a reference point, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink. When they crucified him, and we'll come back to that next week about the crucifixion, we'll look at the physical crucifixion next week. Today we look at the mental part of it. And they sat down and kept watch over him. And over his head they put the charge against him and read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. They were mocking him. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left, and they were passers-by deriding him, wagging their heads. <clears throat> well, Pilate mocked him. The soldiers mocked him. The two thieves mocked him. And now just anybody's passing by. And they said, wagging their heads, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourselves. If you were the son of God, come down off the cross. Two things very important. Hey, he claimed about the temple, he claimed to be the son of God. So also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the, if he is the king of Israel, let him come down now on the, from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Wow. A lot of mocking. A lot of humiliation. Why? Well, Tim Keller brought out a couple of good things about this. I want to share with you and elaborate on. And that is this. We see in this passage... That, first of all, we see the heart of man and the struggle that man has that we don't even see that we have. And secondly, we see the, the heart of God as well. But first, look at the heart of man. Why in the world would these people hate Jesus so bad? Why would they want to crucify him so badly? Well, because he, he, he did all those miracles. No. He raised Lazarus from the dead. No. He had such great teachings. No, they even said... Never a man taught like this man. Why? Because of the claims that he made. He claimed that he would destroy the temple, and he really didn't. He's talking about his own body. But in their minds, he was going to destroy the temple, rebuild it in three days. But here is the catch of all. He claimed to be the son of God. Even Caiaphas, the high priest, asked him when they were trying to find, you know, they were going to crucify him. They were just trying to find a reason. And they said, do you claim to be the son of God? They said, he said, yeah, I do. And they said, we've had enough. It's blasphemy. It's because of who he claimed to be. Because if he's God in the flesh, the son of God, think about it for just a moment. Suddenly, it unbalances life a little bit. A little bit. In fact, a whole lot. Because we like, we like options. We think, well, you know, he's a great teacher. And so, therefore, I can take his teachings and live my own life. He's a prophet. Well, there have been other prophets, but I'm not going to turn my life and heart over to a prophet, but I'm going to revere him. I'm going to worship him. Fine, but I'm going to live my own life. But suddenly now, if he becomes the son of God, Caiaphas has to bow down before Jesus and say, I recognize you as the son of God. Now there's a hatred going on. In one, Anne Rice, who wrote Interview with a Vampire, also wrote a book out of Egypt, was going to do a, a story or a book, as it's told, 
on, uh, on Jesus. And because of she researched the historical Jesus, you know, the, the Jesus behind the Gospels, the way you hear so many things come out at Easter on television, documentaries. You say, where do those things come from? They, they, they're saying Jesus is not the Son of God. He's just kind of a teacher, a good, kind of a good guy. You know, where does all that come from? Well, she researched all that because that's what her novel was going to be about. And in researching that, she became a Christian. She invited Christ into her heart because she found this. First of all, he said, all, she said, all these things that people were claiming that Jesus was and he said and he didn't say, it was all based on speculation. I assume, I assume, I assume. She said they even came to some conclusions that had ev- ev- absolutely no evidence for it at all. But she also discovered this, and this shocked her. This woke her up. She said the people that were researching, made their life out of researching this historical Jesus, actually hated him. And it shocked her so bad because she said, as a novelist, I know as a writer, you do not spend your life researching someone you hate. Why did they hate him? Because Jesus' claims... I claim to be the son of God, he says, causes us pause. And so, well, if he's the son of God, I've got to follow him with my whole heart, with everything that I have. But in the human nature, it says, I want to be the God of my own life. That's going to upset my apple cart in life because I want to run my own life. I want to do my own thing. I want to, I want to spend my time, my money, my resources, my talents, my desires. But I'm willing to come over here and worship God some. I'm willing to go to church on Sunday. I'm put it over here in a category in my life. After all, my children are watching me, and I want to see them watch me go to church. And all through life, you, you know this to be true. We struggle with that. We, we want to call the shots in our own life. But if Jesus is the Son of God, suddenly Caiaphas and everybody else realizes, you know, I may have to resign as being high priest because Jesus is the high priest, changes life. We suddenly think, I may have to live differently than what I'm living now if he's really the son of God. So it reveals our struggle. It reveals our heart, but it also reveals the heart of Jesus. It reveals to us his love for us. Jesus took on the shame, the humiliation. Verse 42, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. And we will believe him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Okay, if, okay, this is reasonable to us, I think. If you really say who you say you are, prove it. I mean, we've watched a lot of movies, right? Read a lot of uh, stories. There's always a hero in this story. You know, he's got his, he's, he's got his hands tied in a chair. And uh, the people come in and beat him up and everything. And suddenly he's got maybe a, a little toothpick or something. And he you know, he, he just happens to have it in his sleeve, and, and he, uh, uncuffs, he uncuffs himself and beats up six people, kills 12 others, and he gets out. He's the hero, right? Okay, Jesus, if you're the hero, come down in glory. Show us your glory. Come down and save yourself if you're the son of God. And, and brothers and sisters, he could have done that. He could have come down, broke his way, said, oh, okay, I'm going to show you. Broke away from the cross, levitated up, levitated down. He could have destroyed everybody in that city, or he could have just had them all come down, bow down and worship him. You are the son of God. You, you are God in the flesh. You know, we love you. We worship you. 
But everybody there would have died. There was a movie. I'll put it in a little illustration form before I close. There was a movie called um, Angels with Dirty Faces. 1938. And uh, yeah, it's an old black and white film. And somebody came up to me after the first service and I asked him, I said, did I get that, those details kind of right? Did I remember that right? Yeah, yeah, you did. So, you know, according to him, he's seen it dozens of times, he said. It starred James Cagney and Pat O'Brien. I think Humphrey Bogart may have been in there too. It's been a while. And, um, and so the story goes where you had uh, James Cagney playing the, the gangster and Pat O'Brien, the priest. They grew up together in the slums. And as they were growing up, James Cagney, the, you know, the tough guy, the gangster, he was, uh, you know, somebody special to the community. He was not only a murderer, and he was not only a gang leader, and he was not only, uh, you know, just organized crime leader, but he was a hero. He became a hero to the young people. He was just this tough guy that everybody looked up to. Kind of ran the city. Pat O'Brien was the priest working with teenagers, particularly young boys, even had someone live in the basement of his home because they had nowhere to go, and they admired this gangster, Rocky Sullivan. Pat O'Brien played the, the, the part of Jerry Conley, the priest, and Rocky Sullivan killed, you know, there was a battle, you know, a little bit, and he got, he killed a couple of people, he got arrested, brought to trial, Convicted, he was going to go to execution, executionary's chair the next day. And Pat O'Brien comes to visit him. And the scene goes, they greet one another, and he says, uh, Rocky, I want to ask you one last favor. And he says, a favor? Here? I'm in prison. I can't do anything. I'm going to die tomorrow. I can't do anything for you. He says, no, you can do one thing. I want you to have courage tomorrow. But a courage unlike what you're thinking. I want you... To have a courage that only I, you and, you and I and God would understand and that is, or know about, and that is this. I want you to die yellow. I want you to die a coward. I want you to scream for your life. I want you to die in humiliation and disgrace. Would you do that? He said, you got to be crazy. I'm not going to do that. I've lived my life this way. I'm going to die this way. I'm, I'm going to go, my, my head held up. I'm going to just dare him to throw the switch. All, I went through all this. That's not the exact dialogue, but you get the picture. You know, you get the picture. Tough guy. And Pat O'Brien said, the priest said, you don't understand, Rocky. You don't understand. It's either you or them. You or the kids on the street. They look up to you. You're a hero. They want to follow in your footsteps. If you die in glory, they're going to die in disgrace. But if you die in disgrace and lose your good name and reputation, then they have a chance to live in glory. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. Just not. Not going to do it. But the next day, they show him going. I think he hit one of the guards and a real tough guy, he got to the door of the executioner's chamber, kind of looked around, kind of a little smirk on his face, and then he just went wild and started screaming for his life. The reporters behind the glass were looking at it, surprised, taking notes. The priest was looking up to heaven, just thanking God. I, I, you know, he, I remember him grabbing onto the, the heater there, uh, the, uh, the space heater in, 
in the room and just pulling at it. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. Please, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Next day, the newspaper read, and those little boys, those young boys were reading the newspaper in the basement. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. He died yellow. The newspaper said, Rocky, the greatest, biggest gangster in the city, died a coward. He was a coward all along. The only thing he had, he said, before he died that night, he said, the only thing I have left is my reputation. My tough guy reputation. That's the only thing I have is my name. But he sacrificed his name so those boys would live. You can imagine those boys turning on him when they found out the truth. He said, well, that's a nice story, but I'm not in that story. Yeah, I appreciate that story. Makes me want to be a better guy. But I'm not in that story, but you are in that story. You and I are in that story. Because, see, as Jesus hung on the cross, he could have said, I'm not going to die this way. I'm not going to die and get spit on and have a crown of thorns, all this bloody death. But, no, he died in shame. In fact, the only thing, think about his name. Think about his reputation for just a moment. He rode into the city on a donkey with palm leaves out in front of him, being the Savior of Jerusalem, being the Savior of Israel. His reputation was one of compassion and love. His reputation was of being a miracle worker. He just raised Lazarus from the dead just a few days before this happened. The last thing he had, he was going to die. The last thing he had was his name. His name. His reputation. Dear friends, if you don't think that's important to God, the word glory of God has to do with reputation. Being Glorifying God it's like looking into a telescope and you bring the moon maybe closer to you because it looks bigger. Glorifying God is to make him look bigger in the world than the world sees him. You can't make him bigger, but you can make him look bigger. Embarrassing God, humiliating God, is making him look smaller in the world. And so he was, the Bible says, of no reputation, but humbled himself and gave his life even a death on the cross because this was his choice. If he lived and died in glory, we would still be in our sin. And we would be dying in shame and humiliation. But if he died in humiliation and surrendered his name, the Bible says we'll be given a new name in heaven, one that nobody knows, a new reputation, a new life. We will live in glory. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what the humiliation of Jesus shows us here in the Bible. Jesus humbled himself to go to the death on the cross. Now, what's he asking us to do? He's asking us, he said, if you want to come to me, you humble yourself at the foot of the cross. Understanding that the payment of Jesus' blood was the only thing that's going to cover our sin. Knowing that it's not just a matter of, well, I'm going to take Jesus as Savior and then I'm going to still run my own life. No, the whole idea to worshiping God is putting him first in your life. And getting forgiveness of our sins and the Spirit of God living in our heart enables us to do that, to enables us to live for God. So it's not just a matter of taking part of Jesus. It's a matter of saying, oh, he is the Son of God. And that means everything. That's, that's all it is. That, that means everything. 
And I can't unbalance my life. I have to just go all in. Either he is, and you go all in, or he's not, and you just quit coming. You quit reading. You quit praying. One or the other, and this passage teaches us, you can't go in between. And man, man wants to go in. We want to. We want to struggle with that. We want to go right down the middle, somewhere in the middle. God says, because of the claims of Jesus, you just can't. The middle of the road is just not open. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.